Welcome to a refreshing podcast from Life Church. Get ready. The Word of God will be planted into your heart and will produce God's best in your life. Uh, I'm going to go straight into the Word. I just want to do that. And um, today, and it's funny, I didn't plan to minister this because it was or is Pentecostal Sunday. But if you are not aware, this is a Christian holiday called Pentecostal Sunday. Uh, It's the day that the day of Pentecost is celebrated. I want to talk to you a little bit about Pentecost. Um, And um, again, it must be the Lord obviously orchestrating that because I don't tend to preach along holiday lines. um, But the Lord just put this in my heart uh, in correspondence to revival. And um, he wants us to have a fresh understanding of Pentecost. And a lot of times people will say, what are you? Are you Pentecostal? Are you Baptist? Are you, uh, and people don't really know what the term Pentecost means. So just stick with me. I'm going to go a little slow, but I'm going to really guide you through uh, the meaning of Pentecost and uh, the, the purpose of it and the significance of what we would call Pentecostal Sunday. I'm actually going to go start from Genesis, though. Genesis 11. This is something that maybe you're familiar with. There's a story called the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel was a, uh, well, let's just read it and we'll catch up to the story. Verse one says, now the whole earth had one language. How many languages? So this is around the beginning of time. Uh, We were just maybe a generation in and everyone spoke the same language. So for our argument's sake, let's just say it was English. Everyone spoke English, right? And one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And so they, in other words, they had a dream to build a skyscraper. Think of the Freedom Tower or the One One World Trade Center, if you would. Uh, that's what they envision. Let's, let's build something like that. Okay? And here's the purpose. Why do they want to do this? It says, uh, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So they thought, let's do this for two reasons. We want to make a name for ourselves, but also we don't want to be scattered We want something to be erected. We want a city. We want a tower. We want something that signifies this is where we all congregate. You know, if you've been to Great Adventures when you were a child, maybe you went with a big group, and they said, okay, this is the meeting place, right? This is the place. If you get lost, you go here, right? So think of it that way. They said, listen, we don't want to get lost. We don't want to be spread out throughout the face of the earth. Let's build a city, and let's build a tower so that we are not scattered. Some people say that God had a problem with this because they just wanted to do it out of vain glory because we want to make a name for ourselves. That really wasn't it. God had an intention for mankind to spread and to inhabit the entire world. They did not want to do that. They wanted to stay. And even from that time to now, you'll see there is a push for the unification of the world, the unification of the world systems, the agreement of systems to build a name for itself. That happened even from the Tower of Babel. Okay, so let's 
pick up from there. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. What are the people? That means they're united. Somebody say united. The people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. That's the power of unity, right? Nothing will be withheld from them because they're one, because they're united. Okay, just keep that in mind. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them. This is what he wanted to do. He scattered them abroad from over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. So imagine we all spoke English. That was the only language. And then all of a sudden, bam, now you're speaking Mandarin. You're speaking French. You're speaking um, uh, Swahili. You're speaking a whole bunch of different languages. We're, we're all talking different languages. Like, you know what? Later for you guys. I'm, I'm out of here. Let me start my own civilization where people can understand what I'm saying here. So God scattered them. That's what God wanted. God is into scattering and spreading. That's always been his heart. He's never wanted people to just stay still. He's never wanted people to be stagnant. He's never wanted civilization just to lock in on a region and say, hey, this is where we're going to hold our fort down. This is, this is our place. God is like, no, 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 no. I want you to spread over the face of the earth. I think that's very significant, and you'll see why in a little bit. Okay, verse 9. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused. They were babbling. They didn't make any sense. The Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Here's what's interesting. This is an indication of scattering and spreading due to the languages being confused. God used the power of language to spread, to spread humanity over the face of the earth. And he would do the same thing on the day of Pentecost. And we'll see that in a little bit. But I'm going to start at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus. He's about to ascend to heaven. He already died for the people of God. He's giving his disciples last-minute instructions. He's telling them what to do. And he tells them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want you to wait for something. Something dramatic is going to happen. Something powerful is going to happen. I know you're sad because I'm telling you that I'm going to go. You know, you've been, you've been with me for three and a half years, and you're used to me being here and being there to supply all your needs directly, but I'm leaving. I'm going to ascend to the heavens. I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father, but I want you to do something very specific. I don't want you to go there and go here and go here and go there. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there because something powerful is going to take place. What's going to happen? Verse 8, he says in verse 8, but you shall receive power. Somebody say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he says, listen, I want you to be a witness, but I need you to receive power. So you're going to have to go and wait in Jerusalem when you receive power, you're going to be a witness to me there in Judea, Samaria, and to all the earth. In other words, I don't want you just to stay in Jerusalem. I want you to spread. 
I want you to be scattered. I want what you have to go over the face of all the earth. Are you with me so far? So Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment, and this is what we call the day of Pentecost. So what is the day of Pentecost? Pentecost was a holiday. It was called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the Wheat Harvest. So in other words, there was a point in time where there was a harvest of barley, and then 50 days would pass, and then after 50 days would begin the Feast of Wheat and this was a time of celebration. It was a harvest time, right? It was a time where crops came in, where wheat came in. So it was a time of feasting, a time of celebrating. That's what, the, that's what Pentecost means. It means the, the feast of weeks, because it was, it was counted by specific weeks, or you can call it the feast of harvest. It was a celebration time. Think about that. It, it, so when you think of Pentecost, I know we always just think of speaking in tongues. Are you Pentecost or do you speak in tongues? But I want you to think about it this way. Pentecost had the connotation of harvest time. It was a, it was a holiday that spoke of harvesting wheat. Notice how Jesus, when he gave the parable of the wheat and the tares, and if you, know the, if you know the parable, Jesus says, listen, there's coming a point in time where the angels are going to have to separate the wheat, those are the children of God, from the tares. Those are the people that are not the children of God, right? But he says, this is the time where we let both of them grow together. So wheat in the Bible always represents the people of God. It represents the harvest of the kingdom. That's what Pentecost means. And so a lot of times in the Old Testament, things were considered to be types and shadows of what was to come. In other words, God made a big deal about how you sacrifice things, how you, you know, how you, how you honor God in this way, how you honor God in that way. And you're like, my goodness, why is God so technical? Why is he so technical in the Old Testament? Why does all these little things matter to him? One of the reasons is because he was trying to, the Bible says the Old Testament was a tutor. It was to give instruction to those of the Old Testament as to their condition outside of Christ. It was to bring them into the New Testament, to bring them into revelation of God's fullest heart. This is why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to make sense of what the Old Testament is about. Paul, matter of fact, Paul said this. He says, don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. He was quoting from the Old Testament. And he says, do you think God is really that concerned about oxen? No, he actually said that to speak of give the person that preaches the word of God, give them what he is owed. He says God is not speaking about oxen, he's talking about preachers. So oftentimes the Old Testament is like a type and shadow of the full picture which you see in the New Testament. So I would always encourage you, don't just read the New Testament because you won't appreciate it unless you understand the Old Testament. You understand what I mean? And so the day of Pentecost, big day, big celebration. Oh, we're harvesting wheat. All in all, really, God was setting up something to say, listen, you think I care about wheat? Do you really think that's the big deal here? No, 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 no. I was, I was tutoring you. That's not the big deal here. The day of Pentecost is really about people. That's what I'm here to harvest. Are you hearing me? And so I'm going to start Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Somebody say fully come. 
That means it was, there was a lead in. It was, it was a lead up to this day because it was, you know how feasts were. They weren't just like, you know, it's your birthday. And you're so excited. Ah, oh, it's my birthday, you know? Okay, after that, it's over, you know? I know a lot of people like to elongate their birthday, my birthday week, my birthday month. You know, it's my birthday, you know? Well, well that's how they did it. <laughs> Everything was a feast and it was for days. So there was a time where it fully came. This was the crescendo. This was the top of the feast. This was where everything came to a head. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord and in one place. How were they? Okay, so they were united. One accord means they were together in mind, in heart, in spirit. They were together and they were in one place. That's significant. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly, there came a sound from heaven, a sound from heaven. Okay, I'm going to go slow here because I want you to catch all of these little details here. There was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. What filled the whole house? Okay, it was the sound of a mighty wind and it came from heaven. So... A lot of times what people think is that it's the speaking of tongues, which we'll see, that filled the whole house. No, God, I would call this a miracle of sound. I'm going to teach you some things that you probably haven't heard before because I think this is very critical. God caused a sound to be released in the place that they were at. Okay? There was a sound, and it sounded like a rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues, images of tongues, over the people as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I love that. Who began to speak? Who gave them utterance? The Spirit. So I love to make a distinction there because sometimes people think, well, if God is going to fill me with the Holy Spirit, he's going to have to make me speak. No, you do the speaking. God gives you the words to speak. You're always in full control. You can shut your mouth and say, no, I'm not saying anything. And God was like, okay, you won't have to say anything. Or you can release utterance out of your mouth that is coming to you by the Holy Spirit. I remember when I got filled with the Holy Spirit for the very first time, I was probably around 16 years old, 17 years old, and when hands were laid upon me, I just began to open my mouth and allow whatever came out of my mouth to be voc vocalized, vocalized. In other words, I could have shut my mouth and said, no, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, what am I saying? This sounds like gibberish. I said, no, I'm going to just give voice to what I'm hearing in my spirit and trust that it's the Holy Spirit giving me the utterance. And let me tell you something. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, is not just something that you can have a feather in your cap and say, thank God I can speak in tongues. No, no, we're missing it because so many of us are not praying in the Spirit regularly. God didn't do this just for show. He did this because this was a major tool in your Christian walk. Praise God. We saw one person get filled with the Holy Spirit last Sunday and speak in other tongues. Amen? And many of you already do that. I want to encourage you, pray in the Spirit regularly. That's how you become a superpower Christian. Believe me, this is powerful. So what's interesting here is that Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 5. And then, or there, were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, okay, what sound is it now? What are we talking about? 
the sound of a rushing mighty wind. We're not talking about tongues. They were speaking in tongues, yes. But it was the sound that came as of a rushing mighty wind. And when they heard this sound, what happened? The multitude came together and were confused. Notice, why were they confused? Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear with each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. They're on that new stuff, right? That's what they were saying. They were mocking them. Or oh, you're on that good stuff, right? But here's the interesting thing. There's 120 people in this room. Okay, I want you to understand what's happening. There's 120 people in the upper room. They're all praying and releasing tongues, a heavy language in worship. And you have a bunch of people outside of this building hearing all of this. And they can hear, every person can hear their own language. So this is just a point of technicality, but I don't believe that they were, these people were actually speaking their language. I believe it was the sound that God created that allowed them to hear what they were releasing. To me, this is what you call the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is different from just your devotional tongues, praying in tongues, you know, in your prayer closet. The gift of tongues is when God uses your tongue to communicate a language you don't even know. You don't even understand, but someone else understands you. You can very well be speaking English, but they hear something else. They're like, wow, God is just, and I see this even just in regular language. I, I know I didn't say something. I, I know I didn't say it. Pastor, that was amazing when you said this and this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I know I didn't say, that don't even sound like me. And it used to frustrate me. Like, Jesus, are they listening to what I'm preaching? And Lord was showing me, ah, you don't understand. You're saying something. But my spirit is converting some of the words you're saying and allowing it to hit them in the way that they can understand and the way that they need to hear it. The Holy Spirit is always at work releasing his message to people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's why Jesus said, be careful how you hear. There's a way of hearing. You can, your heart can be hardened to a place where you can't even hear the message of God. But when your heart is soft, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying, even if it's naturally offensive, you'll embrace it. Some people can't embrace offensive words because their heart is hardened. But when your heart is not hardened, Jesus can say something very hard and you'll be like, yes, Lord. Amen, Lord. I receive that, Lord. So they all heard their own language. It's a miracle of sound. And what's amazing is that we don't have time to read the entire chapter, 3,000 got saved that day. Wow. Now, what's interesting, 3,000 got saved and the gospel began to spread. 
Just like God confused the languages in the Old Testament and the people spread, he allowed language to confuse these people. They received the message and the gospel began to spread throughout the world. What's interesting is 3,000 people got saved today, that day, the day of Pentecost, the day of the harvest of people. That's how I'm going to call it. But when Moses received the Ten Commandments, I don't know if you know the story, Moses was in the, in the Mount Sinai for 40 days, and the people got restless and said, man, where is this guy? You know what? Let's just create a new God. And they built a calf. Give me your earrings. Give me your necklace. We're going to make our own golden calf. They couldn't wait 40 days. Think about that. 40, God did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, sign after sign after sign after sign. 40 days is too long. God is dead. We need, we need a calf. We need a calf. And the Lord showed me that many times, this is the mistake that we do, we are uncomfortable in the space of silence. We don't know how to wait. 40 days was too long. Too long. And so sometimes if you don't know what God is saying, wait. Have a posture of waiting. They couldn't wait. No, we need a God right now. Okay, cool. They got a God right now. Moses came down from the mountain and judged them. And the Bible says 3,000 of them died. That was the beginning of the Old Testament. 3,000 died that day, the beginning of the Old Testament. 3,000 got saved this day, the beginning of the New Testament. God was reversing the curse of the law. That's the spirit of grace. That when they got saved, it wasn't just any arbitrary number. 3,000 symbolizing that God was doing a new thing. And he was causing his body to be mobilized to spread throughout. And these people again thought these guys must be drunk. These guys want that new thing. And then, nope, Peter had to explain. And I'm going to read that looking at verse 14. But Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk. As you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass. This, this is now he's reading a prophecy from Joel. It shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Somebody say all flesh. Somebody say that includes me. So that day, the day of Pentecost, what happened? The day of the harvest, the Holy Spirit poured his he poured himself out on all flesh, all flesh. That means there was something released over the earth, over the world. And this is how it would look. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to live in revival. I want to experience what it is to see God move through me. One of the primary ways that God is using you and will continue to use you is through prophecy, is through dreams, is through visions. When you receive dreams and visions and don't just think you're deep. No, the Holy Spirit was poured upon you. Don't think you're special. You are special, but it's not just because of that. It's because the Holy Spirit poured himself upon you. So when this happens, say this is natural because I'm flesh and he was poured upon all flesh. How many want dreams? Every time you receive a heavenly dream, say thank you for pouring your spirit upon me. 
thank you that I'm a son, I'm a daughter, and you're causing me to hear your voice. Every time you give me a prophetic word, no, I'm shy, I don't want to say it. No, 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 you poured yourself upon all flesh. And I'm flesh, amen. I'm more than flesh, but I have flesh. You've poured yourself upon me, and I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to dream. I'm going to have visions. This is normal. This is the New Testament. This is revival. This is now. This is for you. Hallelujah. This is not for the person. This is not for the person who has been saved for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. This is not just for that person, I should say. This is for every person who has come in the faith of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is poured upon you and you can receive a, a refreshing of his spirit and be used in a mighty way. This is what revival looks like. I said it last Sunday. Revival is not just coming to church Monday through Friday. We're in revival. No, revival is when you are spreading yourself out and the light of God's word is impacting those around you. That is what you call revival. Revival is not just that you're awake, but you're causing others to be awake. Amen. You're not just stirred. You're stirring up others. That's revival. That's now. That's here. That's for you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. Glory to God. It says, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Now, these are some these, this is now some end end time things that will happen. And there's different beliefs as to what this specifically means. Uh, but this is what I believe it means. I'm just going to just give you what I see, that there are going to be cataclysmic events in the world. Not that the sun will, 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 will literally be dark, but the way it appears, the way you will see it. It could be certain types of ecosystem changes. It could be some wars. It could be because you see fire, you see smoke, you see, you see a disturbance in the elements. And what's going to happen in the end, end times, because we are living in the end times, is that natural things that we have, ac have come ac accustomed to seeing won't look the same way. This is how you know that the near is approach that, 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 that the end is approaching. Many believe that a lot of these things will take place during the tribulation period, which is a period that is focused on the nation of Israel. Much of the focus of tribulation is not widespread throughout the whole world. You'll see it really descends upon the nation of Israel. Some people believe, no, we're all going to go to tribulation. Some people believe, no, it's just the nation of Israel. I believe it's a little bit of both, but I believe it will primarily be the nation of Israel. You'll see throughout history that the nation of Israel has always been persecuted. And one of the prophecies in the end is that the nation of Israel will be surrounded with armies and it will be greatly persecuted with na by nations that surround them. If you look at a map and you look at Israel, it's just a dot on the map. And you look all around <laughs> Israel, you'll see a lot of nations that hate that nation. And so these are some things that the Bible speaks about. This is part of the last days. I'm not focusing on that. I just want to see, I just want to show you that because that's what it says. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is that day where if you call on Jesus, you can be saved. This is that day where if you say his name, you have a right to eternal life. 
This is the day of revival. And I'm preaching this way because I want to stir you up to realize that you are living in a precious time. A time where it's not time to just be coasting. It's not time to just live life aimlessly. It's not time to just do what you want to do. Do you live the way you want to live? No, it's a time to spread. It's a time to allow God to use you in a major way. It's time for you to have impact in your family. It's time for you to have impact in your surroundings. It is time. And the Holy Spirit has been poured upon you and you can and you will. This is your time in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say, it's my time. It's my time. So the revival, this is what it looks like. Sons and daughters prophesying, visions and dreams, signs and wonders, salvation. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it is. That's your portion. And one of the things that I feel so stirred, and I'm glad even Melissa said this during her exhortation of worship, is that it begins with your household. That's usually the hardest, right? It begins with those in your very family. And I just feel a burden in my heart. I feel it's the burden of the Lord that many of us are not praying for our unsafe family members. We're not praying enough for them. So let me take a moment, because I realize what's happening here. I think sometimes we become desensitized to eternal life. Let me explain to you very clearly things you probably heard before, but I want to really... I want, I want you to understand this, okay? And I've said this before, but you, I, want, I need to say it again, all right? I'm not a hell preacher. I'm not a hell preacher, but there is a hell. I want to be very clear about that. There is a hell. There is a hell. There is a, there is a place where people go after they die, and it is a place of eternal torment. I don't fully understand it. I just know it exists. Scripture teaches it, people have had revelation of it, and it even makes sense even the way we live our lives as human society. People have a, they have an immediate understanding of consequences to actions. This is why when someone doesn't even believe in Jesus, they may not even accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, and you say, okay, you tell me something. That person that, I'm going to be very graphic here because I want you to understand what I'm saying. That person who has molested children, who has killed people without regard to life, that person who has done heinous acts all their life, who has disregarded any kind of moral code, when they die and you die, you're going the exact same place, heaven, because some people believe there's only a heaven. They're both going to heaven. A lot of times people say, well, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, because people have a hard time understanding how could someone do X, Y, Z, and there's no punishment for it, right? Now, we don't believe, just to be very clear, that you go to hell because of the acts that you commit. No, scripture teaches very clearly, you go where you go because of who you are. Your nature dictates where you're going. This is why the thief on the cross, and he was a murderer also. He was a robber and he was a murderer. He said, Jesus, on this day, remember me. In your kingdom. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you will be with me in paradise. This man was a murderer. This man was a thief. But he came to a point of understanding, you're the savior and I need you. That man went to paradise. That man was saved. So I'm going to be very clear. I'm not talking about 
because you do this, you do this, you go to hell. But what I'm saying is if you bring someone out from the understanding of salvation, out from the understanding of Christ, out from the of grace, and you say, okay, since you don't believe in that, do you believe in this? Do you believe that you can live your life any old way, hurt the innocent of the most innocent, the children of this world, and that person still goes to heaven? Ooh, that's kind of hard. I don't think I could believe that. In our consciousness as human beings, we understand you work for something, you earn it. You, 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 you work hard, you get rewarded. We understand that. So even when we live our lives a certain way, we just believe in karma. We believe that something should return back to us based on how we've lived our lives. Let me tell you something. That doesn't just extend to this natural world. There is a world thereafter. Now, again, we as people of faith, we don't relegate it to works. We, we relegate it to who you are in Christ. Did you receive him as your Lord, as your Savior? That's, what, that's all that matters. Does God care how you live your life? Absolutely. Does he want you to live a moral, clean life? Absolutely. Are there consequences if you don't? Absolutely. But those are not the things that determine where you go. It's who you are. Have you been changed? Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? That's what God is looking at. The Bible says we don't regard man after the flesh anymore. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have, been, have gone. All things are now new. You understand what I'm saying? So I want you to understand. I want you to think about your loved ones. And I don't want you to feel heavy like, oh, my God, I feel so sad. But I want you to begin to pray for them. Don't be cute about people who have not come to the revelation of Jesus you need to have the burden that heaven has. And Lord, I'm going to take a season in my life. I'm going to take a season right now, and I'm going to pray for my cousin who I know has not received you. I'm going to pray for my loved one, my aunt, my uncle, my parent, my, 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 my child, whoever. And Lord, I'm going to release my faith for their salvation. I'm not going to be comfortable going to barbecues, playing dominoes, and knowing that this person does not know you. And smile in their face and act like it's okay. And then people are dying not knowing the truth. No, 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 no. I can't control everyone. I can't make anyone do anything they don't want to do. But I can pray. I can pray that, Lord, you will influence their heart. Lord, you will touch them. Lord, you will send laborers. Lord, you will allow me to prophesy. Lord, you will give me a dream. Lord, you will allow me to lay my hands on them and see the power of God. Lord, give me this desire. Give me this burden that's in you, Lord God. I want the same burden to see people saved. Why? Because people will go to hell if they don't know Jesus. I'm not a hell preacher. I'm not. I preach grace. The Lord loves you. Come to Jesus. But I got to be honest with you because I believe that most of us, we know the truth. We're believers. We're walking in light, in the light of the gospel. There is a truth to hell and eternal suffering and torment. And we must be sensitive to take that burden and say, Lord, use me to win my household. Use me to win my family members. Use me to win my loved ones. I want to see so-and-so saved. I believe people will be saved because someone decided to pray. This is what revival looks like at home, praying for your loved ones. This is what revival looks like at home, praying for your cousins, praying for your aunties and your uncles, praying for your parents, praying for your children, praying for your neighbor. This is what revival looks like. I'm saying it that way because I know many of us grew up in church and we grew up thinking revivals when you go to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, oh, we're in revival. No, revivals when you have a burden that heaven has, 
a burning for people, a burning of the Pentecost, the harvest of the wheat, the harvest of the people. Lord, you've poured your, your, your spirit upon me for a reason. I must be used in the name of Jesus. I'm speaking right now over your family. They will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how, this is, this is one way that you can do this. I didn't plan to go here, but let me see if I can find it because I don't have the internet here. I, you know, this is where the, the Bible book is important, right? I, I, I want to flip right now. Oh, my gosh. Go to 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, I think it's verse 4. Let me, let me see if it's that. I hope it's that. All right, good. Thank you. So we're going to read that. But go to verse 3, and then we'll read verse 4 after that. Verse 4 is the main verse. But let me go to verse 3 just for, just for context. I want you to see this. But even if our gospel is veiled, if it's covered, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Those who are what? Perishing. I want you to see that. There are people who are perishing. Perishing. I'm saying it this way. Man, heaven is on me right now because I didn't plan to really, but I just feel this. I want you to understand when you're talking to certain people who do not know the Lord, they are perishing. Imagine, um, you know, this, this is a topic that always comes up just as just a good conversation starter. I've heard this conversation always. If your girlfriend is involved with, you know, someone and you know that someone is cheating, do you tell your girlfriend, right? <laughs> you, you, you've heard that before, right? Do, do, and, and, and there's always like a big debate. Well, no, I don't say anything because, you know, I don't, I don't get in people's business. I don't want, you know, no, that's my girl. I got to tell us, you know, you know, and it's right. There's always that debate. But here's the tension behind it. You're looking at someone who is perishing. What do you do about it? Do you say something or do you not? Right. So here's the thing. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who's the God of this age? Satan. He's the God of this age. Another portion of scripture in Ephesians calls him the God of the world system. He's the God of the world system. He's not the God of all gods, we know that, but he's the God of this world system. He's the prince of the power of the air, and he has influence over people, and he's blind, he blinds people into thinking things that bring them into a perishing state. And sometimes the gospel is veiled, so you could be preaching to someone all day, and they don't see what you're talking about. It's a veil over their eyes. They don't see Right? Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So this is what you do when you pray for your loved ones. You deal with the veil. You deal with the God of this age that has put a blind over their eyes. And you say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I command you, remove those blindfolds. I, I, I call right now uh, the veil to be uplifted right now from so-and-so's eyes. And then you name that person. So-and-so, may the glorious gospel be seen by you in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, send laborers, send people their way. 
I'm one of them, Father, but send others, send people that will have the right words, that will have the right attitude, that will have the heart of heaven. Send those people, Lord God, to that person, to that person, to that loved one, in the name of the Lord. The next day, Satan, I remind you, you have no right to keep a blindfold off of this person's eyes. The glorious gospel is being seen by them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the laborers that have already been sent. Angels, go forward in Jesus' name. Oh, I love that. I'm feeling, I'm feeling great preaching this. This is revival. This is what it looks like. The angels are always on assignment if you give them, if you give them assignments. So angel, in the name of the Lord, go forward and make, make the path broad. Make the way plain. Bring people into this person's life in the name of the Lord. And angels will do that. A little bit of fun fact about angels. Angels do not preach the gospel. You'll never see angels preaching the gospel. They don't. But they can facilitate the gospel being preached. Glory to God. They can facilitate the gospel being preached. They can, they can coordinate and bring people to environments and, 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 and push people here and push people there and, and orchestrate scenarios where people find themselves in a place where, well, how did I get here? Yeah, there was an angel that pushed her butt up in here, you know, and now the gospel is being preached to you. Hallelujah. Why? Why am I preaching this way? I, this, I'm telling you, is the Lord because I feel that he is a burden for people. He has a burden for people. I pray this often. I say, Lord, not just for um, salvation, but I pray this for people in general, people who are saved, who may need a church, who may need, um, you know, just, you know, to, to be in an environment where they can grow in community. And I pray this a lot for, for Life Church. And I believe many of you that are here, you were sent here by God. Yes. I believe that you were led here. And just recently, some of you, I shared this again, I shared this with a few people that they already knew, I didn't know, but Rebecca shared a story with me a couple of, a couple of days ago, I, didn't, I never knew this, how she came and found our church. The Lord gave her a dream. And that doesn't surprise me, because that's one of my prayers. Lord, give people dreams. Lord, let angels guide them. She didn't know anybody in this church. She didn't know anyone in this church. The Lord gave her a dream. She saw herself going into, the, into a church building, and there were two soda machines that were out of order. And she knew that, okay, it was broke. I, she can tell the details, but she just knew that, okay, these soda machines are not working. I had no, I, I forgot there were two soda machines down here that don't work. I totally forgot that. And then when she got here, because through, you know, she thought it was another church, it wasn't. She got there, and she said, oh, this is the, this is the church. This, these are the, the, the soda machines that don't work. Thank God for broken soda machines. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> that, you, but you know why God does that? God is so creative. Like, why can't God just say, listen, 1387 East 96th Street? Why can't he do that? Why got to give a soda machine? What, what's that about? I've always wondered that, right? God, he likes to have, because you know what? Because you're going to remember that. You're going to remember soda machine. You're going to remember images. And God does that. He's so creative because he loves people. He loves people. He, he will go out his way, if that even makes sense for God. He'll go out his way to make sure that people find a place where they can grow, where people can be connected, where people can get saved, where we can get filled, people get healed. He'll give people dreams. He'll send angels. He'll send people. He'll do it. You'll see it throughout the Bible where Pharaoh had a dream. He was disturbed. What does his dream mean? And then he called Joseph up. Let me give you this interpretation. Joseph, this is your ticket out. 
I gave someone a dream. I'm giving you the answer. This is your ticket out. And I'm causing you to be a salvation instrument for the nation surrounding Egypt. God wants to do that. He loves people. He's looking for people who love people. How many people love people? Lord, I'm going to take time to pray for people because I love people. That's revival. I'm going to fast on Thursday and just pray for people. That's revival. Glory to God. I'm going to take time to give the gospel message to my neighbors instead of just waving at them as I run into the car. No, I'm going to take time to love on them. That's revival. That's revival. Yeah, I'm going to pray for someone's lunch and be a blessing to them. That's revival. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be open to hearing from heaven while I'm on the cashier line and I'm annoyed because this person is taking so long. Lord, give me a word for this individual rather than me get upset and be, be, be impatient. Lord, what are you saying? What, what, what are your thoughts towards this individual? Excuse me, ma'am, you mind if I pray for you? You mind? Are you, are you in a rush? You have a minute. I just feel to just say, God bless you. God loves you. That's revival. Hallelujah. That's what God wants because God is into people. Are you into people today? Glory to God. I'm excited about this. I just feel like this is a time where God wants to shake us. Take us out of our routine. Take us out of our comfort zone. Take us out of the things that we're familiar with because he's into people. He's into people. Never say, I'm not into people. I'm antisocial. You know, if you're antisocial, you're not like God because God is not antisocial. I don't like friends. Well, God is a friend maker. Yeah, so, so you better be into friends. We better be, get, get into friendship because God is making friends every day. Every day he's making friends. Amen? Why? He loves people. Do you love people? Will you sacrifice for people? That's revival. That's revival. And so I just want to end on this. Start with your family. Begin to declare, Satan, remove your blindfolds off the people's eyes. May the glorious gospel be seen by, name that name, and begin to water that seed with your prayers each and every day, with your thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that cousin Sam is coming to the Lord. Thank you that Uncle Phil, Uncle Phil, look at that, Uncle <laughs> Phil is coming to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that, you know, whoever it is, begin to water that seed with, pray, with, with, with your thanksgiving. Watch what happens. Oh, my God. Do you remember, my goodness, this is the reverse, but this is the beauty, the beauty of it. Paul, when he was persecuting the church, and Jesus appeared and said, Paul, or Saul at the time, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, what do you want me to do, Lord? And Jesus gave him the vision. He says, I'm going to call you to, to the nations and da, 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 the Gentiles and even the Jews at the time. And then he lost his sight, and he was blind for three days. And then... The next few verses, you see that God begins to deal with a man by the name of Ananias. And he says, I want you to go. <laughs> I want you to go to this place and meet a man named Saul. Behold, this is the thing I don't want to miss. Behold, he is praying. What was Paul doing when he was blind? He was praying. Do you realize that because he was praying, God, it activated something somewhere else? 
and God would say, okay, this man is praying. Let me now call you to him so that you, he can receive his sight, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and launch this incredible ministry that I have called them to. But it happened because he was praying. What if he was complaining? Why did God take my side away? I can't stand. This, see, this is why I was persecuted. What if he was doing that? No, he was praying. Your prayers will provoke heaven. That's what I want to show you. Your prayers will provoke heaven. And it will cause a response on people's lives that you're praying for. That's revival. That's what it looks like. It's saying, I'm going to get up a half hour earlier just to pray for one individual. Yes. I love my sleep. I know you do also. But you know what? This soul is worth it. Maybe for just one week straight, I'm going to dedicate this extra time for this individual. That's revival. That's what the kingdom of God is about. That's what we're entering into. That's what we're about in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I believe as we go into this next chapter of our church, this is the last month that we're here, guys. And I'm so excited about it because as I begin to go into the community that we're going to be going into, I'm already being connected to people that are there. And I can feel the hunger for a new church. I can feel it. I can see it. I walked in the other day to this complex and I just met a couple. And she's like, oh, my God, I was just looking for a church. Are you going to be at, are you going to be at that building? I said, absolutely, we're going to be at that building. She and her husband, we were looking for a church. Amen. Why? Because God has a way of creating hunger in people, allowing voids to be in people. And then he has a way of saying, now you, let me give you what they're looking for. Yeah, that's what it is. And so we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to actually minister to that community in a very powerful way. And you're going to be the hands and feet that do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, you can put your hands together for that. It's awesome. Glory to God. Somebody say, that's revival. That's revival. Say aloud, that's revival. that's revival. All right, so that's the name of the message. I didn't even know what the name of the message was. That's revival. I told them I usually have a title. I said, guys, just flow with me. I don't know what I'm going to say today, but that's the message. That's revival. Glory to God. Somebody say, that's revival. I want you to remember that. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And that's what we are in right now in Jesus' name. Oh, I'm so excited about it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just bless East New York. We declare, Lord God, that as we go forward, Lord, in that community, Lord, that you are causing our path to be made broad. You're widening our path. And you're giving us an entrance, Lord God, into the hearts of people to give your word, to give your message. Thank you, Lord God, that you're giving us opportunity, Lord, to sow good seed into good ground. And you will receive all the glory for it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This concludes today's message. If you need prayer, want to give a donation, or would like more information about Life Church, visit us at www.nylifechurch.com.